Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. As we continue to come in, just want to share a, a, a bit of orientation about this space. So I'm Brian Martin Burkholder, chaplain here, and along with student chaplains and with Kelsey Blocker from Student Life, we, we set up the scanning stations for the convocation points. Be sure that you're scanning in and out. And what we're realizing in some spaces is if you, if you hold your, your, card, your card like this, the, the glare makes it harder to scan, but it, when they're more vertical, it scans very quickly. So just keep that in mind to maybe just change the angle a little bit of, of your card. Beginning this year, and as for returning students, Every program that happens on Wednesdays at 10, 10 a.m. is two points. Everything that happens at any other time for convocation points is one point, regardless of how long it is. That's because we are trying to incentivize gatherings across campus on Wednesday mornings for campus engagement, working with EMU core values and commitments. This is campus worship. Every time, every other week, campus worship in this space will be a worship service. If you're looking for a, a worship service, most often very clearly Christian emphasis, you're in the right place. If you're curious about Christian worship, you're in the right place. If you don't want to be in Christian worship, I'm not sure why you're here, other than the two points, and that's a good reason to come. However, Every time we have Christian worship or campus worship, we have options. And I want to show the next slide, Clay. The, the combo breakouts, I have it linked on the options for today. There are small group gatherings that happen at the same time as campus worship. For now, it's two options, Comunidad Latina with um, uh, Wendell Shank and Maria Esther Showalter, two of our um, faculty and instructors in Spanish, that's in Roselawn, and Hearing God's Voice in Daily Life with Judy Hyatt, a nursing instructor in the library. And some, some weeks there'll be just a one-off, like career services might have someone on campus and they're engaging with them. So just know that you have options. We're in no way wanting to be coercive about a Christian worship space. We are wanting to be invitational. Uh, about offering worship on campus. The opposite weeks, it's convocation, which is a non-worship program connecting with EMU core values and commitments. And that's the big one that's in Lehman Auditorium. So every other week. When we're up here, I'll try to remember to put signs on the doors of Lehman Auditorium as a reminder, all right? When we're here also, we typically use um, hymnals. We use voices together most of the time. We also frequently project the songs on the, the wall, on the screens. Not screens, but the wall that functions like a screen. So if you really like to read out of a hymnal and you didn't pick one up, go to the two entrances and get one. Otherwise, we'll have the music here. All right, that's enough business. Um, so the theme today is what about Indonesia? Songs and reflections from Mennonite World Conference Assembly. And our description is this. So what happened over the summer in Indonesia? And what is Mennonite World Conference? And why does it matter to EMU? 
Join Professors Andrew Suderman and Benjamin Berge for theological and ecclesial reflections and worshipful music from their experiences with the recently held Mennonite World Conference Assembly in Indonesia. Dr. Benjamin Berge sitting here is assistant professor of music at EMU where he directs the choirs and orchestra and teaches courses on music theory and conducting and directs the music and peacebuilding program. That's the name of it. Do I have it right? Music and peacebuilding. Good. Additionally, um, he, well, he completed his doctorate and master's at James Madison University nearby in orchestral conducting. And additionally, Benjamin is a prominent music leader in the Mennonite Church, having recently served as director of music at Harrisonburg Mennonite Church, and notably as musical music editor for Voices Together, this very project. Um, it's exciting. This is the, the newest worship resource and hymnal for Mennonite Church USA and Mennonite Church Canada, as well as compiler and editor for the hymnal's accompaniment edition. He regularly leads worship and resourcing events at assemblies, workshops, and conferences, and was the music planner for the 2022 Mennonite World Conference Assembly music's music and songbooks. So you can see that the the deep connects with today's theme. I'm glad some of you are finding the few seats remaining in the front. Keep sending people up front. Dr. Andrew Suderman uh, serves as the Director of Global Partnerships for Mennonite Mission Network and is an Assistant Professor in Theology, Peace, and Mission at Eastern Mennonite University, including teaching right here at the seminary. Now, rumor has it uh, he was teaching this morning but by saying yes to the campus worship service, he decided to bring his class here. If you're in his class that meets right now, if you don't mind waving, that'd be great. So about five, six people over here. Um, he, Andrew Suderman also serves as the secretary of Mennonite World Conference's Peace Commission. Again, a really close connect with, um, with our theme. Although born in Canada, Andrew has spent many years living outside of Canada, combined total of 10 years in Latin America, seven years in South Africa, five years and counting in the United States. Andrew's PhD in theology from the University of KwaZulu-Natal focused on exploring South African political theology through an Anabaptist lens and the way they intersect. I'm grateful for um, both Andrew and Benjamin for leading today and the chamber singers supporting. And so thank you and I'll turn it over to you. Thanks, Brian, and thanks everyone for coming this morning. Uh, it was a privilege to be a part of the planning committee for Mennonite World Conference Assembly uh, that just happened this past summer and being a part of putting this songbook together. So this morning we are going to be singing songs from all around the world that were used at assembly as a way of sort of connecting into the theme. And I'm grateful to the chamber singers for helping to uh, be a leading voice as some of these songs may be new. Uh, many of them uh, likely are new. So we're going to start with one that some might know, Sia Humba. Uh, and I would invite you to stand if you're able for these first two songs while we get our body and voice warmed up. We'll start with English, we are marching.
It is always an amazing experience to sing in other languages and sing songs from um, our brothers and sisters around the world. As we continue in Spanish, we're going to sing Tu Eres Todo Poderoso. We're going to sing this whole thing in Spanish. So we're going to sing it a couple times. Hopefully, as you start to get the hang of it, or at least the refrain, uh, you can join in. If it's new, feel free to listen until, uh, until you can uh, sing or hum along. song of this opening set, I'd like to invite Daniel up. Daniel de Tablan is our office manager in the music department and will help us learn a, a very popular Christian song in the Philippines. And Daniel also is very helpful in the process of making the songbook as he translated the lyrics into a singable English version that we used at assembly. So he'll sing through it first in Filipino, and then we will sing in English. Aquí. 
kaluluwa at siyang nagdulot sa ating buhay liwanag sa dilim at pag-asa pagkat ang Diyos nati Diyos ng pag-ibig magmahalan tayo't magtulungan at kung tayo'y bigo ay huwag limutin na may Diyos tayo na nagmamahal Our God's Our God's love has brought a bright light into our sad hearts and weary souls and has imparted life's true abundance amidst a darkened world God gave us God's love binds us together. This is verse 2. Love never failing forevermore. And in our, and in our spirit, together we are one. Though we are far apart, love binds our heart. Because we know.
Good morning. All right, I've only had three cups of coffee as well. Good morning. There we go. Good to see you all. I did not expect as many people as there are here, um, and you have thoroughly made me very, very nervous. Um, so I'm going to try to do my best. I was asked to share a little, uh, share some reflections about Mennonite World Conference, um, and was told that many might not know what Mennonite World Conference is all about. And so I'm going to share some information. Uh, some stories, um, a little bit of kind of just data, just so that you have an idea um, as to what Mennonite World Conference is all about. The fact that you're here at Mennonite, um, where are we? At Eastern Mennonite University, right? Means that in some way you are connected to this larger global body, right? And if you're even, if you're a part of or consider yourself a Mennonite and you're a part of a Mennonite church, your church might actually be part of Mennonite World Conference as well, right? And so Mennonite World Conference is, a, is an entity, it's a global body um, that gathers... Let me try that again. Mennonite World Conference is a communion, that's better, of Anabaptist-related churches um, that seeks to find ways of supporting one another, worshiping together, walking with each other, and being in solidarity with each other. And every once in a while, every six years, we have this opportunity of, uh, where we all come together for a big, massive worship session, a big, massive uh, family reunion, an opportunity to come together and eat some amazing food in different parts of the world, and an opportunity to meet different Mennonites from around the world. And not just Mennonites. Mennonite World Conference is actually comprised of several different kind of denominations that are part of this body. There's the Mennonites, there are Mennonite brethren, and there are brethren in Christ. All three of these are Anabaptist-related uh, churches that form uh, Mennonite World Conference. And so let me just give you um, a bit of a... Now let me see if I can figure out how this works. Um, some information about Mennonite World Conference. Already at the beginning, I want to stop and think a little bit about what we see in this picture. This is the first global assembly that took place in, in uh, 1925 in Switzerland. What do you see in this, in, uh, in this picture, if you can see it? My eyesight is getting worse every year, so it's more and more difficult for me to see this, but what do you see within this particular picture? Middle-aged, older white folk. <laughs> Middle -aged, older white folk. I might even go further than that. Mostly men, right? 1525. Say it again. A lot of hats. Snazzy hats, though, eh? Yeah, I like them. What else? Where did this take place? Now, why would it take place in Switzerland? Swiss German? What? Explain Swiss German Mennonites to me. <laughs> Come on now. Who can help them? Swiss German Mennonites. What does that mean? The first gathering took place to commemorate the 400th year anniversary of the birth of Anabaptism. 
And so Anabaptism was this, uh, was this ecclesial, this church movement um, that emerged in 1525 during the Protestant Reformation, right? Um, and so 1925 was 400 years of commemoration, of, of, of remembering the birth of these different churches, these Anabaptist-related churches, right? And at this point in time, they were questioning, they were wondering about and trying to kind of get a sense as to how they understood themselves as Mennonites, right? And in particular, Mennonites in Europe, um, who had just experienced a world war, right? And who had just gone through this process of having a world global uh, war in their minds, right? And so they're trying to understand a little bit more about who they are. What does their faith, what does their faith mean within that particular context? Right? And what can they glean from the 400 years of their faith identity, their faith formation that has been taking place since that time? Now, for those who might not necessarily have an idea as to what Anabaptism as such means, right, Anabaptism became equated with a few things. So first of all, it, it emerged in 1525 in Europe and specifically in, Swiss, in Switzerland. Well, that was one place where it happened, right? At this point in time, there was an assumption that the Swiss, that Zurich and the Swiss um, uh, area was kind of the hallmark of what Mennonite meant or what Anabaptism meant at that time. Later on, historians started to recognize, no, there isn't just one story as to how Anabaptism er emerged. There were different threads. There were different places where it was cropping up, right, including other places in Europe. But it was still very European, right? But this is, I think, why it took place in Switzerland in 1925. And so from the Anabaptist movement in 1525, this was in the midst of the Protestant Reformation, right? A tumultuous time that was taking place. And there's a couple of things that really kind of, that really kind of um, uh, differentiated Anabaptism from the other forms of um, kind of ecclesial church movements that were kind of rumbling around at this time, during this tumultuous time. One of them was an emphasis on adult baptism, right? It was, an, it was looking at not just being baptized as an infant, but making a decision as an adult as to what kind of life, what kind of belief, what kind of assumption you are going to embody, right? But adult baptism also had kind of another significant portion of um, kind of within that story. It spoke to a different kind of allegiance than what was assumed during Europe at this particular time, right? A different understanding and allegiance in terms of how they would relate to the state. And so one of the other pieces of the Anabaptist puzzle that took place at that time 400 years ago, now getting close to 500 years ago, was a significant suspicion of the state as such. Right? So there was a bit of a tension in terms of how they understood um, the state. And adult baptism was one of those practices that highlighted that, that, that kind of component. Right? Another one was this, was this dedication to the ways of peace. Now this doesn't mean that Mennonites or, or the early Anabaptists were always perfect in, how, in doing that. In fact, there are many and are many examples of, as to how they were not agents of peace. Right? especially today when we start to look at and have a kind of a deeper understanding of what violence means, we can say and we can see that there wasn't, that they weren't always able to walk in that ideal that they had kind of upheld. 
But they still had an up, they still had this ideal of wanting to be agents of peace in following the Prince of Peace, right? And so this was one of the, another key component that emerged um, that became part and parcel of what kind of Anabaptism um, seemed to be about. To the point where even today, other global entities like the World Council of Churches, the World Evangelical Alliance, and others often actually point and go to Mennonite World Conference in order to try to get a quote-unquote peace church perspective on things. And so just recently, the World Council of Churches has been meeting in Europe um, to talk about and to look at um, the state of their ecumenical body. And one of the things that they continuously ask for is a peace church perspective on things within the world, on the church and on the realities within the church, within the world, sorry. And so this emphasis on peace became kind of central to an understanding of Anabaptism. There was a posture of service, a posture of serving others. This became kind of, an assume, kind of a significant practice within Anabaptism that has been taking, that has kind of provided roots that we still continue to experience today, right, 500 years later. And perhaps more, most significantly, there was a reorientation um, of the church itself and how people perceived and understood the church, right? That moved away from a uh, kind of a clerically, um, clerically kind of assumed hierarchy uh, of other faith traditions at that time to a more flat understanding um, that assumed that everybody could be the mouthpiece of the Holy Spirit. And so therefore, we need to hear and have the opportunity to hear everybody and their perspective because they could potentially be speaking God's truth at, at that time, right? And so this changed kind of an ecclesial understanding, a, a church-related understanding as to how we operate, right? And so here, 400 years later, they're recognizing and remembering that history. In 2015, this is the 16th global assembly that took place in Harrisburg in the United States. Just out of curiosity, was anybody there? What are some things that you remember from this particular... Um, I'll get to the... Can I... Can I why? Okay, and you met a lot of people. Was that, and that's a good thing. Why is that a good thing? Okay, anybody over here? They're not as brave as you, apparently. What about the music? <clears throat> that's a, yeah, good, very good. Different kinds of music. So this took place in 2015 in Harrisburg, in Harrisburg. This is the assembly that just took place this summer in Indonesia in 2022. This is the 17th uh, global assembly. What do you notice about this as opposed to the uh, picture from 1925, just out of curiosity? Okay. Okay. Diverse, color. No. <laughs> There's one over there in the corner. <laughs> Okay. What? A, pardon? Predominantly women, yeah. 
They're dancing. For, for those of you who have heard or you have grown up hearing or you have heard from your friends that Mennonites don't dance, this is another example that that is just simply not true. I learned how to dance from the Colombian Mennonites. They're the ones that taught me how to dance. Mennonites dance. North American Mennonites, okay, well, we'll, we'll leave it there. This is my family. Um, we try, thank you. We try to, my wife and I have made it a priority, if we, had, if we can at all, to bring our children to these kind of spaces. And part of the reason why we try to bring our children to these kind of spaces is to, is to highlight for them precisely the difference that this global family of faith looks like, how it looks, and that there's a different reality around the world than there is, for example, in different parts, in kind of microscopic parts of the world. And to see the, the, the myriad of people that are part of this, uh, this family of faith is one of those pieces that we want to we think that it's an, it's an important formational component for our children to see what, they're, what, uh, what we belong to and what we get to participate in. Cesar Garcia, who is the General Secretary of Mennonite World Conference, um, he highlights uh, the work of Mennonite World Conference, or he, this is one of the kind of pieces of wisdom that he articulates. Once we decide to follow Christ, our supreme allegiance changes. We become part of a transnational community of others who also give their highest loyalty to Jesus, to Jesus and to him alone. And as a reconciled community, we give evidence of the kingdom that we proclaim, the realm of the Prince of Peace, when unity instead of fragmentation and divisions characterize the results of our conflicts. That doesn't mean that there aren't differences and that there are differences of opinions at these gatherings. So before the assembly, um, I get to participate in a lot of different meetings that take place prior to that. I get to participate in the general council meetings, fascinating meetings, um, commission meetings. Um, so, and Mennonite World Conference has four different commissions. There's a mission commission, there's the deacons commission, there's a faith and life commission, and there's a peace commission. And I serve as a secretary of the peace commission. And so during this time, we get to see the differences of opinions. We get to see the way in which we disagree with each other. And we disagree vehemently about certain things. And it is a beautiful thing because after that we go, I don't agree with you. Now let's go and have supper. And we continue the conversation. So Mennonite World Conference is called to be a communion. This is how they understand itself. right? Of Anabaptist-related churches linked to one another in a worldwide community of faith for fellowship, worship, service, and witness. And this notion of communion is a significant um, kind of theological term, which is worth exploring. We're not going to do that this morning, but it's worth exploring. So just some stats about Mennonite World Conference. So within the Anabaptist world, um, there are just over 2 million baptized members in 84 countries. 69% of these folks live in Africa, Asia, or Latin America. And Mennonite World Conference represents 109 different Mennonite and Brethren in Christ national churches and one national or international association. And so Mennonite World Conference equates to about almost 1.5 million um, people around the world. And this is the map as to where you can find some of these different Anabaptist Christians around the world. What do you see in this map? 
out of curiosity. We're not the biggest. We as in? As in North America. We are not the biggest. Who is? Okay. What else? There are some parts of the world that are not, that are untouched, that are not present, yes. This kind of is a, kind of highlights where uh, MWC members are. You'll see that North America, the members that are part of, that are within North America, within where we are, only equate to just over 15% of the global body, right? And this is also an interesting uh, uh, tidbit, in my opinion. So this breaks down the different denominations that are part of Mennonite World Conference, right? We see, for example, the Mennonite Church equates to about roughly about 30, or 30% of uh, the MWC global body. Mennonite Brethren are just, you know, just over 28. Um, the Conservative Mennonites, 1.52. Brethren in Christ, almost 9. Amor Viviente, which is a church in um, Costa Rica, I believe. Some, it's in Central America, I believe it's in Costa Rica. Amor viviente equals almost 1% of our global body. And MKC, Mazadid Christos Church, Mazadid Christos Church in Ethiopia, that one church within that, uh, within that country equates to about a quarter of our global body. Here we find, so this, these are two members of um, the Peace Commission that I'm the secretary of. We find um, on the right, we have uh, Belinda Rodriguez from Honduras, who's a professional psychologist and the director of Justice and Peace Project. And on the left, we have Bahati Safari Mutaveshi um, from Malawi. He's actually a DRC, he's actually from the Democratic Republic of Congo, but, it, but is a refugee from uh, DRC and was forced to leave uh, DRC because of the rebels that um, attacked him and his home. The rebels came into his house and killed his whole family, and he was able to be—he was able to escape, and he fled and, and spent some time in Rwanda, in Burundi, and then eventually tried to come back into DRC, and was once again um, persecuted, was once again chased out of the out of DRC, and so and he went to Malawi, and he's been and he's been living at a UN uh, refugee camp um, for the, about the last 20 years, and now he's a pastor of several different churches, Mennonite Brethren churches, um, in that refugee camp in Malawi. Well, one day, one day, um, I mean, in these refugee camps, more and more refugees come in, right? And so one of the things that they would do as a church was find ways of welcoming these, these newly arrived refugees into the camp and find ways to provide some of the basic needs that they needed, right? One day he recognized one of the people that came into the refugee camp. And he recognized him as one of the soldiers that came into his house and killed his family. He welcomed them. He welcomed him into the church. And he met with him. And he ate with him. And they talked. And this man looked at him. He's like, I know your face. And, and Safari returned and said, I know yours too and then explained how their stories connected. 
He's been relating with that person, with that man, um, for the last several years. And now they're co-pastoring a church in Malawi within this uh, refugee camp. He's part of the Peace Commission and highlighting, and highlighting for us, recognizing the power of what he would describe as reconciliation, which is very costly for him, but very meaningful. So just out of curiosity, what is your paradigm and understanding of Mennonite? This is my wife, by the way. Is it Karen? Is it Brian? Perhaps it's Fred? What's your paradigm? Or, maybe not or, and might our paradigm also now begin to include and recall and remember that it also includes Siska Ibanda from DRC, Cynthia Peacock from India, amazing woman, incredibly wise, Siaka Trao, I can never say his last name, but Traore from Burkina Faso, or Denisa Ndlovu from Zimbabwe. Denisa was uh, the previous uh, president for Mennonite World Conference from 2003 to 2009. our paradigms of what it means to be Mennonite and what the Mennonite faith community is shifting. And this summer, we had an opportunity to worship and see that, um, see that presence. And I would extend the invitation to all of you that in 2028, the next Mennonite World Conference Assembly is going to take place in uh, Ethiopia. And you are all invited. I'll stop there. So we have a couple songs, come on up, uh, songs of response. And just a reminder that we scan out from campus worship and convocation. We don't start scanning out until the program's finished. And you'll know it's finished after Micah has given the campus announcements. Then we'll scan out. We're going to respond with two songs from Indonesia. So the assembly was in Indonesia. There are three synods. There, what we might think of as conferences or denominations, three Mennonite synods. So this first one written by a Mennonite, Septo Joadi. The chamber singers will sing the first verse in Javanese, the, the, dialect, the Indonesian dialect of, of the island of Java, and then invite you to sing in English. Verse 1. O Prince of Peace, O Holy God Most High, we gather here your message to proclaim. Around the earth, we nations to know. 
Jakarta, one of the biggest Christian church bands, JPCC, wrote this song, Romu Yang Hidup, and um, they are sort of like the Hillsong of Indonesia, and they're Mennonite. So uh, we taught this song to those who didn't know it, and we will teach it to you here. I'll sing the first verse in Indonesian and then join, invite you to join on uh, the verses in English. Thank you. 
Thank you, Ben, and chamber singers for the music, and Andrew for the reflection. Uh, before we go, just a few campus announcements. Um, yep. Tonight, tonight at 6.30, women's volleyball and women's soccer at 7. Um, tomorrow, walkie-talkie, an opportunity to have free Slurpees and good conversations with CAC. Um, Friday night is Capture the Flag campus-wide um, competition. And Saturday afternoon, men's and women's soccer, uh, afternoon and evening. And then on Sunday night at 8 p.m. is Celebration, the weekly uh, Christian worship space, um, which I believe is here. Yes, seminary building. And then there is an interest meeting right after that. So those are some of the events coming up this week and into the weekend. And with that, have a good rest of your day.